Billy Napier has a lot of things to address here in the offseason. And for those, for the record, for those that tell me bowl games don't matter, well, meet the 2022 Florida Gators. There are so many questions coming out of that bowl game. And I think there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable moments for Billy Napier over the next six or seven months. He's going to have to address what happened their last time out. And that's not a great place to be. Always College Football with Greg McElroy is presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Welcome in. Today is Monday, December 19th. We hope that you're enjoying the show or that you're getting the show. That's on ESPN's YouTube channel. Or if you're here with us via the podcast, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me, as always, is Mark Kubiak and Jack Foster. Really appreciate you guys coming and spending some time with us on the Monday. What a great weekend, I might add. It was for the bowl season. We had some awesome, awesome results, some great, great drama, some incredible plays, some incredible performances, especially that involving a name you're probably going to recognize, but maybe not the player that you're going to recognize. More on that here in just a moment. But it was a terrific weekend of bowl action starting on Friday at around noon, all the way up until deep into the night, Saturday night. Just terrific, terrific drama, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. We will break down some of those performances, and we're going to preview the games that are coming up here a little later today. So we'll take it to, take a moment and kind of get into some of that as well. We also are going to take some of your questions from the mailbag. We've had some great questions. Continue to light us up with those, if you will, at Always college football at gmail.com. Or you can also, if you want to throw it to us on social media, you can do it that way as well. Always CFB on both Instagram and on Twitter. So we are stockpiling question marks uh, and questions from y'all, and we will get to them here in future episodes. But we're going to knock a few out today, and we're excited to kind of look ahead here in the next couple days about recruiting. So those that have already asked us about recruiting questions, We're getting there. We're going to have Tom Luganbill join the show later this week, talk a little bit about the bigger picture as it relates to recruiting, and we're going to kind of fill you in with signing day coming up just a couple days from now on what's going on in the world of high school slash college football. So a lot that we need to get to this week, but we'll kick it off by breaking down the games of the weekend, and we'll do so now. It's time for Let's Talk About It, presented by AT&T 5G. All right, it all got started on Friday afternoon. By the way, can we get games that start at like 10.30 local here in the central time zone every Friday? Like, I am really looking forward to some of these new contracts that are coming up in a couple of years. We've seen some of them, not all the details really, but we've seen some. It sounds like there's going to be Conference USA games and other games that are going to be taking place in the afternoon during the week. Like, I am all for that. So I hope you guys enjoyed these early kickoffs as much as I did. We got another one coming up here in a couple hours. So these midday games during the week, man, they're the best. So I'm loving what we have. And it got underway in the Bahamas between UAB and Miami, Ohio, hometown lenders Bahamas Bowl. I want to start by saying... What a great performance by both teams. Dwayne McBride was a late scratch. So UAB at less than 100% dealt a little adversity. Great drives, though, put together offensively from time to time. I thought Jermaine Brown did an adequate job filling in. 
went for 116 rushing yards and a couple touchdowns. Of course, he had that go-ahead touchdown, too, with 90 seconds left. So he really did a great job down the stretch after kind of really being the Robin to Dwayne McBride's Batman throughout the course of the first eight or nine games. So it's amazing to watch what he was able to do. Avion Smith gave it all he had, did a pretty good job, was in his own right running the football for Miami, Ohio. And how about the play at the end, man? Shades of the Tennessee Titans being stopped at the two-yard line en route to a potential Super Bowl victory, but being denied there at the very end. That was an awesome game. Awesome game and a perfect way to get things off and running there in the bowl season. Jalen Walker, man, what an unbelievable effort by him, the Miami, Ohio wide receiver. If that ball's thrown in front of him, I think he scores. I might add, but ball was thrown just ever so slightly behind him. As a result, he was stopped at the two and UAB hangs on to win the game. That set up what was one of the best uh, bowl matchups really of the entire bowl season. You have number 24, Troy, playing against number 25, UTSA. Now, Troy, I know we've made a lot this year out of TCU and their propensity to come back in games, right? Troy, by the way, not to be outdone, this was their sixth win of the season in which they were trailing in the second half, okay? North Carolina, Coastal Carolina, and TCU are the three other teams that have all come back six times this year. Well, now Troy has one more than those three. They were all at five. All four were at five coming into the bowl season. Who knows? Maybe North Carolina, Coastal Carolina, maybe TCU. Maybe they all come back in the second half of their upcoming bowl games. But either way, Troy does it for the sixth time this year, and they get the job done. How about an 11-game winning streak? That's the longest winning streak since opening 1995 with 11 straight wins before they lost in the FCS playoffs. This is their first 12-win season since joining the FBS back in 2001. So an all-time great year for the Troy Trojans. Just an incredible, incredible performance, too, by their defense. Their offense was terrible for most of that game. And no, hey, no disrespect. No disrespect whatsoever. But let's just be honest. It was not the game for you if you were trying to really love offense, Troy finished with just 169 yards of total offense. It's the fewest by a team in a bowl win since 2002. Okay. The team that won that game, by the way, was UCLA. They had 167 in the Las Vegas Bowl against New Mexico back in 2002. So it's been a while since the team was that putrid offensively and still won the game. They forced five turnovers on the defensive side. That was incredible. Just an incredible performance. Carlton Marshall, he was the guy we told you about, the all-time leader in FBS history in tackles. He finishes his career after 14 tackles in the bowl game, seven solo, finishes his career with 577 total tackles. Most ever. So Carlton Marshall, what an incredible career you've had. Congratulations to you and congratulations to all your teammates. What a great season for the Troy Trojans. Think about this too. Two losses this year. They finished the season 12 and two. They win their conference. And one of those two losses came by way of a Hail Mary. Just think about that for a moment. Think about just how close this team was to winning 13 games. Those were the two bowl games on Friday, but those were not the only two games that we had. How about the game between North Dakota State and Incarnate Word? UIW, man, I'm telling you what, UIW was rolling, right? 
I mean, they were cruise control. Get out to a nice early lead, up 16 nothing, And then, boom, it was as if North Dakota State's like, all right, let's turn it on. Let's go, boys. They scored 24 unanswered points in the effort. There were five lead changes, including three in the fourth quarter alone. An incredible back-and-forth performance by both teams. And North Dakota State now, they have now advanced to 10 of the last 11 FCS championship games. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. This was by far their toughest test of the season, or so it felt. This is the most passing yards they've given up, the most points they've given up, but North Dakota State found a way to get it done. And they did so by being completely one-dimensional. I tweeted it, actually. You might have seen it at Greg McElroy. North Dakota State was one of 12. One for 12 throwing the football for five yards. One for 12. That is outrageous. Lindsey Scott, on the other hand, what an incredible performance. What a great year he had, I might add. Tied Joe Burrow for the second most single-season passing touchdowns. Uh, now, he trailed Bailey Zappi by two, so he doesn't have the all-time record. But anytime you're mentioned alongside Bailey Zappi, Joe Burrow, as far as statistical performance in the season, throwing the football... You did something good. That's for sure. Congratulations to Lindsey Scott. Congratulations to UIW. They did a great job all season long. Just came up a little bit short. We wish GJ Kenny, my former teammate at the New York Jets back in 2012, I believe, uh, wish him the very best uh, as he takes on the next step he's going to be taking over at Texas State. So very excited for him. But congrats to North Dakota State getting the job done and winning it there Yet again, they'll set up to play in the D2, uh, in the FCS championship game here in a couple weeks. So very exciting Friday. Saturday, however, is when things really started to get going. Louisville, Cincinnati, and the Wasabi Fenway Bowl got things kicked off. Now, probably one of the most awkward bowl games I think I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, probably. And, and it's not even so much about the play. The play was less than stellar. Uh, I did not think it was going to be as one-sided as it was. I thought it'd be somewhat close. I thought Cincinnati would give me a little bit more offensively. I thought their defense hung in there for about as long as they could. But ultimately, you just never got the sense that Cincinnati was going to be able to put enough on the board to be able to get the ultimate victory. Both coaches, I thought on both sides, Deion Branch for Louisville, Kerry Combs, obviously for Cincinnati. Uh, and even adding to just how awkward it was, these teams were on the same sideline and they had interviews in the game with the former head coach of the Louisville Cardinals, Scott Satterfield, and the future head coach of the Louisville Cardinals, Jeff Brown. Like it was just so awkward. Everything about this game was uncomfortable. Now, credit to Louisville, first bowl win since 2019. They finished now with an eight and five record. Pretty good. One of their best records since 2019. Uh, and this was the seventh time this year that they've won games by double digits. They're the only ACC team that has more than that is Clemson. They had eight. So think about Louisville, man. <laughs> they were very good at times. They were very bad at times. Man, this team was very unpredictable. And you got their best there at the very end. Hit a couple big plays on the ground. Finished with 287 rushing yards. That was the most 
this season. And even more impressively was probably how they played defensively. Seven sacks, which was tremendous. That puts them at 50 for the season. Right now, I know some teams still have to play. They are number one in the FBS when it comes to rushing the opposing quarterback. Prater, the quarterback for Cincinnati, really struggled. And as a result, Cincinnati has now dropped three straight in the postseason. They had four losses this year. That's their most in the season since 2017. So not the year many of us anticipated from the Bearcats. All right, moving on to the SRS distribution, Las Vegas Bowl. What a beating. All right, I mean, this... Honestly, when you look at the final score, 30-3, to it wasn't even that close, y'all. This game felt like a complete beatdown. Now, credit to Oregon State, man. They were ready to play. They showed up. They dominated the line of scrimmage. They had incredible coverage on the back end as well. There was very little separation from Florida's wide receivers from start to finish. Oregon State now has beaten an SEC team for the first time. They were 0-11-1 heading into the game all-time against the SEC. Their lone tie came against Tennessee 35 years ago, back in 1978. So this team has not been competitive against Southeastern Conference foes in quite a while. This was the largest win by a Pac-12 team over an SEC team since Oregon beat Tennessee by 45 points nine years ago. That was back in 2013. Tennessee, a lot, a lot of common threads to this game. I'm not trying to beat you while you're down or anything, but this just puts things in perspective, just how dominant and one-sided this victory was. Ben Golberson bounced back in a big way, had not thrown it well in the last time out against Oregon, but he comes out in this game, finishes with 165 passing yards, passing touchdown, and a rushing touchdown. When Golberson was the starting quarterback this year, this team went 7-1. and one. Goes to show you a little bit, man. He was pretty good for this Beaver offense. Now, not a guy that's going to light it up statistically. We know who Oregon State is, right? We know what to expect when we turn on the tape of the Beavers. They want to run the ball. They want to control the line of scrimmage. It's exactly what they did in this game as well. Deshaun Fenwick finished with a season-high 107 rushing yards. Uh, You also look, too, this game was 30 to nothing with 30 seconds left, okay? About got shut out until Florida kicked that field goal with 30 so, 36, 35 seconds left or so. That extends the FBS record of 436 consecutive games without being shut out. So we were on the verge of seeing history here I guess not the history that you want if you're Florida, but the longest streak, longest consecutive streak scoring points in a game almost came to an end. If not for the field goal there at the very end, it would have been. This was an awful performance by Florida. They lost three straight to finish the season under 500. It's the second time over the last 75 seasons that they finished with a losing record in consecutive years. The last time it happened in 78 and in 79. So historically bad consecutively for the Florida Gators last year and this year. It's their fewest points scored in a game since scoring two points back in 2015. And they finished with just 219 total yards of offense. It's the fewest in a game since 2017 against Michigan. Okay, This was a bad performance. They had a lot of opt-outs. They had guys that did not participate. It's no excuse. 
It was awful. Billy Napier has a lot of things to address here in the offseason. And for those, for the record, for those that tell me bowl games don't matter, well, meet the 2022 Florida Gators. There are so many questions coming out of that bowl game. And I think there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable moments for Billy Napier over the next six or seven months. He's going to have to address what happened their last time out. And that's not a great place to be. So you can tell me they don't matter. Fine. Tell that to Billy Napier, who's going to have to go in front of boosters and donors at alumni events for the next six or seven months, having to answer questions about what just happened there in Las Vegas. But ultimately, it was the Beavers' day. That's where we should focus our attention. Congratulations to Jonathan Smith and company. What an incredible season. Just an incredible year. And Jonathan Smith, rewarded. He deserves every dollar he's getting on that new contract. So, so incredibly happy for him. Taking over at your alma mater obviously means a lot to him, but having the success they've had already tells you exactly where this program's going here in the near future. All right. I got to ask you more about Florida and Napier. You hinted at it a little bit, but what can you tell Florida fans going into next year? I mean, obviously there's going to be a lot of roster turnover and everything, but year one, you kind of want to see it going in a better direction. Well, you'd want to finish better, right? Ultimately, in year one, you don't want your best moment to be week one, right? I mean, that, honestly, like if you think about it, we're sitting here after week one, like, oh boy, look at Anthony Richardson, look at Florida. They might be a problem there in the East. Maybe they can give Georgia a run. Dynamic quarterback might just took down a team in Utah who ultimately went on to win the Pac-12. I mean, that's by far the best moment of the year. That was an that was ancient history if you're Billy Napier. Now, here's the positive. going to find the silver lining for Florida. There's a lot of positive momentum, like we talked about. We're going to talk about recruiting later in the week. They have some positive momentum as far as recruiting is concerned. They're going to be a player and a destination in the portal. They're really good as it, as it goes with NIL. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a disappointing finish. A very disappointing finish. I'm not going to lose as much sleep over the bowl game performance as I am the way they played in the final two games of the regular season, losing to Vanderbilt, and then, of course, losing to Florida State. The way they lost to Florida State, those are more problematic to me. But either way, I think Billy Napier, he's going to have plenty of time. I mean, there's plenty of time. This is a big, big endeavor taking over a program that did have some significant holes on the roster. But guess what? There's going to be holes on the roster again next year. He's going to have to attack high school recruiting, and he's going to have to attack the portal. And we're going to be able to kind of gauge just how good they're going to be next year based on who they can bring in and who can become an immediate difference maker for that roster. But a lot of question marks. There's no denying that there's a lot of question marks. Moving on next to the LA Bowl, the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl, if you will, <laughs> presented by Stiefel. Uh, I was on the call for this game. It was a bucket list event for me to see Jake Hayner play in person. You've heard me on this program. You've heard me back in the summer. You heard me after Jake Hayner got hurt against USC. He is one of my favorite players, and it has been for years. I think he is just tremendous. Love watching him play. I think he plays with great urgency. I think he plays with great leadership, courage, toughness. Everything that you could possibly want as a characteristic of your quarterback, he has. Now, he doesn't have ideal length, but I'm telling you, this guy is going to play on Sundays, and I think if he gets the chance to lead a program or an organization, a la, say, Taylor Heineke, 
He's going to seize the reins and he's going to take control. I really believe that that's the type of guy this guy is. So it was really cool to be on the call for his final bowl game. He, however, was not the star of the show. The star of the show was Jordan Mims. 205 rushing yards. That takes his career to 3,286 career rushing yards. It's the fourth most in history and in the process of having that incredible bowl performance in his final college game. He passes all-time great Fresno State Bulldog Ryan Matthews. So, Jay Kaner... Jordan Mims, incredible backfield tandem. Hayner, by the way, finished with 284. Went 8-2 as a starter this year. The losses, I might add, came against Oregon State, who we just talked about, clearly a legit team, and USC, clearly a legit team. When Fresno State has Jake Hayner in the lineup, they were a problem. They finished with nine straight wins, the only team in college football history to start the season 1-4, and four, only to finish it with 10 wins. Just incredible watching that team play and compete down the stretch. Incredible character and culture as well there for Fresno State. So many guys too, and we've talked about it on this show. I've talked about it with coaches. So many guys, if they're sitting there and the record is one and three, a lot of guys after that fourth game, they're going to say, yeah, you know what? This isn't for me. I'm going to shut it down this year. I'm going to preserve a year of eligibility. I'm going to redshirt. Then I'm going to transfer, go elsewhere, or I'm going to come back next year and hopefully we can chase a championship. They didn't. They weathered the storm. It was bad. They had injury history. They had problems. They had 14 guys that were day one starters that missed time this year, including Hayner, who missed four games. So either way, awesome to watch this team compete. Congratulations to the Fresno State Bulldogs for bringing a trophy home to the Valley. Well, I guess it's not a trophy. It's a belt. The LA Bowl presents a giant championship belt. So congratulations to them. It was an awesome performance, just a complete clinic against Washington State. And they finally get that much-needed, much-wanted Pac-12 victory after coming up short in the two games prior. Moving on to the Lending Tree Bowl. How about this stat line? You ready for this? 329 rushing yards. That's not a team performance. That's an individual performance. Now, the individual is a name that you're probably familiar with. Frank Gore Jr. 329 rushing yards is the most rushing yards in a bowl game in FBS history. It's also a Sun Belt record. It's also a Southern Miss single game record. So Frank Gore Jr., of course, yes, Frank Gore, that Frank Gore, it's his son. You know we're getting old when NFL players that we grew up watching have kids that are going to become NFL players. That's a scary thought, but I digress. It's the first running back with 300 rushing yards and a passing touchdown in a game since Arkansas's Darren McFadden 15 years ago back in 2007. He didn't, it's not like it was just one pass. He went like two for three in the game. So they were letting him chuck it around. And he was pretty good throwing it, I feel like. He had a a career high coming into the game of 199 rushing yards. That was the last game of the regular season. Think about that. The last two times out, Frank Gore went for nearly 550 rushing yards. It's pretty good. (laughs) So you could tell that this rushing attack, it looked like there for a moment there in the third quarter that Rice was going to be able to make it happen. They have pretty good back, a couple of decent slot receivers. Rice looked like they might make it a little bit interesting after getting down early by a couple touchdowns. They cut it, took the lead, but ultimately they had no answer for Frank Gore. They had no answer for the Southern Miss rushing attack. 
And if you look at what they were able to accomplish finishing the season seven and six, it's the first winning season for Southern Miss since 2019, their first win in the bowl game since 2016. They had lost a couple straight. So congrats to Southern Miss. A great year. And I think that team, by the way, look at what's coming back, assuming they keep everybody there. You look at what's coming back for Southern Miss. They're going to be a problem next year. Just make note of that. Let's move on now. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, Nelly. Whoa, Nelly. I got to ask you something about this because Frank Gore immediately, almost after the game, had to tweet out that he's returning to Southern Miss with all kind of NIL rumors and transfer rumors. I guess my question is, McElroy, you know, is this going to be something that we see moving forward where guys have huge bowl games for a group of five teams and then are going to be picked up by power five programs after like you'll see, do you think we'll see more of this kind of moving forward? I think so. Uh, I think it's definitely a possibility. And um, I, I don't know if it's necessarily just group of five to power five. I think there could be power five to power five as well. I mean, these bowl games are standalone, right? There's very few that are kind of on at the same time. Maybe in, in a rare instance, there's two or three that are on at the same time. So everybody's watching the numbers for these games do phenomenally well uh, when they're not up against the NFL. So I think that there's a lot of eyeballs on these games. And there's going to be a lot of tape studied by coaches over the course of the next several months. Because as you're starting to look back, and for instance, let's just use Southern Miss for an example. I don't know who they play specifically in the Power Five next year, but let's just, in a made-up world, let's say they're playing Mississippi State next year. Well, when Zach Arnett goes to study and scout Southern Miss in preparation for the 2023 season, the first game he's going to put on is their most recent game, which is the bowl game. So if a guy has a breakthrough Big time performance. Well, Zach Arnett might be like, "Hey, we might want to, we might want to get in touch with someone that that kid knows, and say that if he wanted to enter the portal and maybe say come to Starkville, you know, maybe you know, maybe we should, you know, maybe extend that olive branch." I think that that's a real thing for sure. And a lot of people too have said, and we we always talk about the downside of playing in bowl games, right? Well, you could get hurt and you could have a, a career-altering injury. Those are true. We understand that. You also could get hit by a by a car, you know, walking across the street. You know, those things are possible as well. Are we not walk across the street? Obviously, we do. So there are, I mean, obviously there's risk involved in everything, but there's also the potential of upside, man. You're only as good as your last performance. And if your last performance is phenomenal, guess what? The offseason is probably going to be pretty lucrative for you. Because everyone's going to remember that last game. I think Frank Gore, whether he stays at Southern Miss, which I'm assuming he will, he said he will, stays there, or if he's getting recruited by others, he's going to have options moving forward more than likely because of the performance that he put on tape just the other night. Just a terrific game by him and a terrific game across the board for Southern Miss. Let's move on now to the Frisco Bowl. Late night action. I might add this one. I was a little tired on this one. But either way, Boise State... After what was a pretty interesting game, right? I mean, Boise State rushed for nearly 320 in the game. That's a school record for rushing yards in a bowl game and their most rushing yards in any game this season. Now, you look at 28 carries for Ashton Ginty, 28 carries for 178 yards and a touchdown. That's a school record for rushing yards in a bowl game as well. And Taylor Green, he has had his ups and downs as far as being a passer. 
Not a great performance throwing it again on Saturday night. Finished just 13 to 22 for 137. If he can take a step, man, and, and just grow and become a little bit more accurate and a little bit more consistent throwing the football, we all know what he can do with his legs. 12 carries, 120 rushing yards, two touchdowns. It's the second game with 100 passing yards and 100 rushing yards this season. If we can get a little bit more out of his arm moving forward, Boise State's got themselves one heck of a good-looking quarterback here in the very near future. They're now 7-3, and three, Boise is, in their last 10 bowl games dating back to 2010. North Texas, I might add, of course, they've made a coaching change. Seth Luttrell out. Eric McCoy, formerly of Washington State, is in. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do in the portal because I think when you listen to Eric McCoy, he is, like many coaches there in the great state of Texas, they're going to really prioritize in-state high school recruiting. But you have some immediate needs. Austin Ani finishes with 240 passing yards, a couple interceptions in the game. It's the sixth time this year he had multiple interceptions. And in, that, in this season, they went one and five when he threw multiple picks. They have to replace him. They also have a couple other pieces they have to replace on the offensive side as well. So either way, man... It's going to be very interesting to watch North Texas moving forward, but can't say I'm all that surprised with Boise State pulling out the victory. They were a heavy favorite. And then finally, the New Mexico Bowl. This was a very exciting game, by the way. Very, very exciting. BYU winning four straight games after losing four straight to finish the season. <laughs> That's a pretty wild roller coaster type of year for Kalani Sataki and the BYU Cougars. They were very up and down, but they finished the season on a really high note, of course, stopping Tanner Mordecai on that two-point conversion there at the very end. Mordecai finished his career, by the way, 72 passing touchdowns at SMU, had a couple in the game on Saturday night. He is the fourth player in SMU history to reach 7,000 career passing yards, joining Ben Hicks, Chuck Hickson, and Shane Bouchelle. So joins a pretty elite group of quarterbacks that came before him, a couple of which that played just in the last 10 years or so. Tanner Mordecai had a great career. SMU comes up short, though. I don't like the play call there at the very end. I just don't get it. You're a passing attack. You have good weapons at wide receiver. Mordecai is a very, very accurate passer. Solid from the pocket, carving people up. You're going to run them on a quarterback draw and a gotta-have-it situation? It's easy to second-guess in hindsight's 2020. I didn't like the play call. They got in the same formation, built the same formation after they exploded. Then they called timeout. They get out, do the exact same formation, run quarterback draw. I didn't like it. I didn't like the numbers. I didn't like the approach. I thought Rhett Lashley would have something a little bit more creative in that scenario. They didn't. Credit to BYU, though. What a great turnaround. They'll enter the season next year with a four-game winning streak. So a good, solid weekend of bowl games altogether, but I didn't tell you who North Dakota State is playing in the FCS championship. They're playing the number one-ranked South Dakota State Jackrabbits. All right, They advanced their second FCS championship game. They beat Montana State. They're trying to win their first FCS national championship, and I'm very, very excited. This game, by the way, the national championship will be January 8th, on ABC. I remember they beat North Dakota State back on October 15th. It was a close game, but they're 0 and 4 against North Dakota State in the FCS playoffs all time. 
They're on a 13-game winning streak, though. Their last loss was against Iowa, but that was back in week one. So it's been a while since South Dakota State has been on the losing end. Isaiah Davis continues to be a workhorse, man. 16 carries, 158 yards and a touchdown, has rushed for at least 100 yards in all three playoff games so far. You have Gronkowski, who is very solid in there at quarterback, very efficient, 10 of 13 for 189 and two touchdowns. Also added about 50 yards on the ground as well. So this is a really good South Dakota State team that has beaten North Dakota State before, but has not done so in the playoffs. So we have an excellent FCS championship game to look forward to on January 8th. We'll talk about that when the day comes. Let's talk about it. It's brought to you by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Lions, Tigers, and tailgates. Oh my. The college football season is always a great time of year. Besides the jerseys, the face paint, and the foam fingers, there's the food. And nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckrich smoked sausage. They're naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices. From buffalo sausage dip to Sausage, chili, mac, and cheese, Eckridge Smoked Sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to all your tailgate meals. Visit Eckridge.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, let's dive into our mailbag now. We love this segment. Always love to take some time and interact with our incredible listeners. We're so grateful to you guys for submitting all these awesome questions. We have a long list. If we haven't gotten to your question, don't worry. Don't panic. We're going to get there. I promise you. Always college football at gmail.com or you can send us a question on our social media at AlwaysCFB, both on Instagram and on Twitter. But Coobs, let's kick it off. All right. First one comes from Kyle in Idaho. Oregon is making a lot of news in the recruiting world lately, getting some big recruits and possibly flipping a couple of others. How much of that is success on the field versus Nike NIL money? Well, I think it's a combination of both, and I think that's where the world's at right now. I, I really believe that. I get the sense that NIL is going to be a factor in every critical decision as it relates to recruiting. It's going to be big. It is. There's no denying it's going to be big. But if you look at what Oregon has had, and you look at the positions, for instance, that they've gone out and gotten, going and getting a Dante Moore out of Detroit and bringing him to Oregon, one of the top quarterbacks in America, that's massive. I mean, because it's not like Detroit is a pipeline to Eugene, Oregon, right? Like I can understand going to LA, NorCal, even up in Seattle, you name it. A lot of good quarterbacks, by the way, on the West Coast. But going to Detroit, <laughs> not something that you would normally anticipate. They obviously had a very exciting product this year as well. They won a lot of games. You saw after week one, the way they kind of flipped things around. And Dan Lanning is a relentless recruiter. There's no denying that he is relentless and a guy, too, that I have a ton of respect for. He's young. He's going to go out. He's going to be able to relate to the player, but also maintain that balance of being able to relate, but also requiring a certain level of accountability that I think a lot of players nowadays will gravitate towards. 
So I do, but also let's think about it too, man. When these guys are all making the decisions, what's the most Im- impactful ages for you as a sports fan? Like mine between like eight and 13. Like that's probably the the range or so where I was most moldable, malleable, if you will, as a sports fan. Like that's why when I was growing up, like I loved more than anything else, the USC Trojans loved them, loved the Texas Longhorns. Like why? Because guess what? They were really good. I moved to Dallas at 10 years old and watched Ricky Williams dominate at 10 years old. I was born in 88. Ricky Williams was there in 98, won the Heisman, dominate. Saw Vince Young there in my early teenage years. Like I acknowledge very much that that is the window of opportunity to make an impression and to create a lasting respect factor for the organization. Well, how old were these kids when Oregon was at the top of their game? When they went to the national championship, a lot of these kids were seven or eight years old. When they saw Marcus Mariota win the Heisman, guess what? They were probably 10 years old. Like Oregon has been good for a really long time. And I think Oregon, because of the bells and whistles that they can offer as far as NIL, the quality of facility that you get, and the fact that you just saw a really exciting product, and it feels as though the trajectory for Oregon is trending up, I'm not at all surprised to see them on the cusp of a top 10 class. And I think that it's probably even going to strengthen here as we close signing day here in a couple days. All right, next one here, Cam in Dallas. Recruiting rankings and stars always matter, but in today's transfer portal college football world, are team rankings as important as they used to be? I have a theory that we can get to on the stars and recruiting rankings and all these other things. Probably not the time for it right now, but we'll have a let's talk about it here in the future about how you got to take recruiting rankings with just the tiniest grain of salt. Uh, But ultimately, recruiting talent is always going to matter. Like Having depth on your roster is always going to matter. I can't sit here and tell you that a team full of three stars can go toe-to-toe with a team full of five stars on a week-to-week basis. Probably not, right? Like The team full of five stars, more often than not, is going to be better than the team full of two and three stars. It's just the truth. I mean, it's just the fact of the matter. Now, I would tell you too that recruiting sites will give guys certain stars based on who they commit to. But like I said, conversation for a different day. Either way, I still think that recruiting high school talent is the foundation of the best programs in America. I really believe that. I think you want to create a culture of competition. And if you can add guys via the portal to fortify positions, that would be significant. Or if, if for whatever reason, you have a hole on your roster, a la Michigan, say, hey, we lost a great center. Let's go out and get Olu Oluwatimi, put him at center from Virginia. Then obviously that fills a void. You're going to have teams that are going to add in some cases up to 15, 16, 17, 18 recruits. Some coaches, especially on the West Coast, are saying, hey, our high school pool, we used to take 25 guys. Now we're taking 12. The other 13, they're going to be for portal players. So it is a thing and rankings still matter because I think the best teams will still make sure 
they prioritize high school recruiting. I've always, and look at Georgia. How active has Georgia been in the portal? Who's the best team in the country? Who's arguably the best program in America? I think the answer to both of those questions right now, probably the Georgia Bulldogs. Well, how many guys right now do they have that are contributing at a super high level because of the portal? They have a few, but not many. All right. And lastly, Steve in Maryland. They moved the early signing period to December a couple of years ago. And now in a six weeks period, we squeeze in conference championships, awards, bowl games, signing day, and the CFP. Is there any way to space anything out so that college football can be talked about year round? Well, you're preaching to the choir here. Like, There's nothing that drives me more crazy about our calendar uh, I hate that we've moved signing day up into the middle of the bowl season. Uh, I hate that college football ebbs and flows as far as the way it's covered. We are here to fix that. We're not going away after the season. We won't be every day, but we will be several times a week. So we're not going away. Like I believe that there is an appetite for college football year round. I cover the sport 12 months a year. I read about the sport and study the sport 365 days a year. I don't take time off, nor should you if you're truly a college football fan, because there's constantly going to be pieces that are on the move. Coaching carousel is going to continue to rotate. Things are going to adjust. And I wish college football would do a better job of staying in the news cycle on a year-round basis. But here's the problem. Those that could have an impact on the college football calendar also have a significant interest in college basketball, maintaining its levels of popularity. They want college football to go away so that college basketball can be highlighted beginning in the middle of January, running all the way through the first week in April as March madness comes to a conclusion. So I don't think anything's going to change in that regard because the decision makers, as far as the calendar is concerned, are interested in far more than just football and keeping football in a year-round basis. Like the NFL, for instance, their sole interest is staying in the news every single day. College football's decision makers, their sole interest is creating as much interest in college football in the college football season. But when college football ends, put a bow on it. Let's move on to college basketball. When that ends, put a bow on it. Let's move on to the other springtime sports, softball, baseball, the other sports that have now grown in popularity with the advent of more accessible options as far as SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12 networks are concerned. So I wish and I hear your concerns. That's why our show is going to be here for you. But don't expect anything to change because of the interests and the priorities of some of the people that could have an opportunity to adjust the calendar down the road. This episode is brought to you by AT&T, official sponsor of the college football playoff. Is checking your team stats at 2 a.m., watching highlights while eating with buddies, or catching the game during a wedding all too much? Nope, because too much college football is never too much. And AT&T 5G keeps you connected all season long. 5G requires compatible plan and device 5G may not be available in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. 
your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. All right, final thought here as we put a bow on the show here on the December 19th edition of Always College Football. The Joe Moore Award, which has grown in popularity, I might add. I think it's personally, I think it's one of the best awards out there because it rewards a collective group over that of an individual. And to me, this is the greatest team sport in the world. So therefore, we should do a better job of highlighting and rewarding group effort. That's what the Joe Moore Award's about. And I also love too, and I'm dear friends with Cole Kublik. He's one of my best buddies in the industry. We have a great relationship. We do a radio show for 15 hours a week. Like We spend a lot of time together. And I know how passionate he is about offensive line play. And he has made sure that I understand how passionate that all the members of the committee are about offensive line play as well. They have Hall of Famers that are on the committee. They have former coaches that are on the committee former offensive linemen that are on the committee. Everyone that is involved in voting for the Joe Moore Award comes with unrivaled credentials. Michigan has now won it for the second consecutive year. People are up in arms. There were only two finalists this year. You had Michigan and Georgia. People are up in arms, Georgia fans in particular, because Michigan won. And the only thing that they continue to point to is, well, how did Michigan fare in the playoff last year against Georgia? I get that. I understand why that would be frustrating and that would be the calling card as you've tried to make an effort on behalf of your team. But the Joe Moore Award goes collectively to the best offensive line. It does not collectively go to the best offensive line at blocking Georgia's defensive line from 2021. That's not part of the footnotes, all right? That's not it. It goes to the best offensive line, and to be honest with you, they got it right. Michigan has been the best offensive line all year long. If you watch the way their guys work in unison, watch how guys will pull, watch the different variations that they use, whether it's man blocking or zone blocking, collectively, they are the best group. Now, there are some areas in which they could probably be a little bit better. Perhaps their tackles can maybe be a little bit better in the drop back pass protection game. Fine. But either way, they don't ask their tackles to live in the drop back passing style of attack. They're a run first team. And they, I think, play can, can play with both power and finesse, which to me is a sign of great versatility along the offensive line. They're the best group. And I know that Georgia, if Georgia's defensive line wrecks havoc against Michigan's offensive line again this year, if they get a chance to play in the national championship, everyone's going to lose their mind. But remember, it's not how you match up against one specific team. By the way, if Georgia's offensive line were playing Georgia's defensive line from last year, their offensive line would have gotten shredded too. Don't forget that. It went to the right team. Congratulations to Michigan. Back-to-back winners of the Joe Moore Award. When we finally put a bow on the show here, 
We always like to tell you, please like, rate, and subscribe, and make sure you tell your friends. Word of mouth is huge. We don't have a marketing budget here. All we want to do is get to as many people and talk about college football with as many people as humanly possible. So spread the word for us and like, rate, and subscribe. That helps us out. It helps the show out, and it'll help us to continue try to make sure that you guys have a destination for college football every single day. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark Kubiak and Jack Foster, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have an incredible rest of the day. And remember, it's Always College Football because this has been Always College Football with Greg McElroy presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.